Welcome to the Unique Garden Show, hosted by Mike Branning, owner of the Unique Garden Center. Join us each week right here as Mike discusses gardening topics and takes your calls and questions. Our call-in number is 366-8471. Now, here's your host, Mike Branning. Morning, Mitch. Morning, Mike. How you doing? I'm doing well, thank you. So what do you got in store for us this week? I figured I'd start the morning off uh, talking about bees. Because uh, things are beginning to go out of bloom now, so the food source is depleting for the because of the late fall going into winter. But the weather is still nice, and so the bees are still very active. And uh, there's just you know less material that's in bloom out in the desert. And so I wanted to go ahead and talk about you know if you're so inclined to help the bees out and feed them. Yeah, why not help a neighbor? You know, right? And you know a lot of people will be open to that and they'll sadly not knowing uh, which is why i'm going to bring it up is they'll just you know get regular table sugar and put water you know we mix it with water and then put it out there for them thinking that they're doing the bees a favor uh where in reality they're just poisoning the bees uh so you want to be sure to buy organic cane sugar and not processed cane sugar and there definitely is a difference. And same goes for hummingbirds when you're feeding them. Oh, well. yeah, yeah. Well, you know, a lot of products you can buy, too, because you can buy products, whether it be online or in a store, and uh, it'll already be pre-mixed, and you just kind of, and you, again, you, you're buying it, wanting to do the right thing, and you put it out there for the bees of the hummingbirds. Like with hummingbirds, uh, there's a number of products on the market that have, because hummingbirds are attracted to the, the color red. And so there's a uh, red food number five in the, in the hummingbird mix. That way it turns the water red. And uh, again, because it is a, an attracting color to the hummingbirds, people think they're doing the right thing for the hummingbirds. Uh, whereas in fact, just like with people, you know, uh, red dye is a poison to humans, and it's a poison to hummingbirds as well. The feeder itself should be enough of an attractant for the hummingbird. Exactly. You don't need to put uh, food coloring in exactly. it. Exactly, exactly. But again, you know, I mean, people, you know, make these products, and they market it, uh, targeting people that want to do the right thing and, and want to feed the hummingbirds or the bees, not knowing that what they're doing is actually detrimental to the hummingbirds or the bees. And so, yeah, just use regular cane sugar and uh, as far as organic cane sugar. And uh, I know I have a saucer that I have out on my half wall. Um, and I put water, sugar water in every morning. And when I come home, it's empty. And But I was home yesterday working on some designs. And, uh, and there were just a ton of bees on it. I mean, there were so many bees, you couldn't even see the saucer. Oh, wow. And uh, there must have been over 500 bees hanging around this saucer. And so I ended up putting another saucer out there uh, with water. Because what happens is, you know, they're so, you know, each one is so destined to get in there that they knock each other in the water. And I even have a rock in the middle of the saucer, so that way if they do get knocked into the water, and no one's going to say, hey, buddy, let me give you a leg up, you know, and pull them out, they drown. 
So I have a rock in the middle of the saucer that they can go over to and then climb out. But the rock was so full of bees trying to get to the sugar water and then all around the rim. And there were a lot of bees that were drowning because they were just so many of them. So I put the second saucer out there and I ended up actually filling it up twice during the day. Besides what I did in the morning, I filled it up two more times. Oh, wow. They're really active. Right yeah. And, uh, and again, you know, at the, when I first started feeding bees years ago, um, and I was home one day, and there was a lot of bees out there, and I was, went to go pour more sugar water in, and uh, literally from my hand up to my elbow, you couldn't see my arm or my hand. It was just all the bees landed on my arm. And talk about freaking out. Oh, yeah. I don't know if I could keep my cool in that situation. <laughs> you know? But I'm thinking, well, I don't want to panic because I don't want to get stung. And uh, But as soon as I got done pouring the water in there, I just gave my hand a real light movement. And then they all flew off. And then they all gravitated back down to the saucer. So uh, like anything else, I mean, if something doesn't uh, fear you, then they're not, they're not afraid of you. And they're not going to react in a negative way. Right, and you don't want bees to sting you anyways. You don't want to provoke them to sting you because it's a one and done for them. Right, exactly. They're not like wasps. Exactly. And uh, so since then, I've never been worried about them, and, and I've never been stung. And, you know, I'm generally around hundreds of bees all the time. And even when if we're on a job and I'm going to, say, prune a shrub that has a lot of bees on it because of it being in bloom, um, and this might sound kind of weird, but I talk to them. And I just say, hey, guys, I have to go in here and trim the shrub. You know, sorry to disrupt you, but, you know, I need to get in there and do it. And uh, so you can just, kind of, you know, give me a little bit of space, and then you can come back in a couple minutes. And, uh, and again, I mean, they're flying all around me and whatnot and never been stung. So, uh, again, I, I think everything has, a, you know, an instinct as far as whether they feel fear or not right because they're only going to react if they feel afraid or threatened right and uh so getting back to the feeding so yeah you do uh give the bees some sugar water make sure that it's uh organic cane sugar and you don't find it and that's what you want to use and you're not going down the hill at all to buy anything um you know give me a call and i'll pick you up a bag when i go on the road i'm on the road all the time and I'll bring it back for you. And uh, so I have no problem there at all. And then, again, on the same thing on the hummingbirds, you know, use uh, organic cane sugar and hold off on the red food number five. And, uh, and that way the hummingbirds would be appreciative and healthy that they're getting being given organic cane sugar. And, uh, and while you're at it, you might even think about knocking off the refined sugar for yourself. And only using, you know, organic cane sugar. Right. And do yourself a favor. Because there's, there's no doubt that, you know, if you do enough research on it, and you don't have to go very far, but uh, refined cane sugar is definitely a poison to your body as well. Right. I don't know if we've mentioned this before, but I've heard that you're only supposed to feed hummingbird. You're not supposed to have the feeder out all the time with the sugar water in it. You're only supposed to have it out like maybe two, three times a week. Oh, you is that they right? can develop an illness from so much sugar and not okay. like nectar from plants. I'll look into it a little more. Yeah. And I'll bring more information on it. Okay. That. Awesome. But yeah, I, I didn't I know that. Hearing. So right on. That's good. That's good to know. 
you know. Another thing, if you have any roadrunners running around your area, uh, they're going to be kind of going down for the winter here pretty soon uh, as far as their activity. But if you are so inclined and you have one that is coming by, it's real common uh, for people to, because, you know, their neighbor or their parents or whatever down the road in the, in the past, they'll just get a hamburger ball and toss them a hamburger ball and they gobble it down and they like it. And people just kind of do the same thing. But there again, a hamburger ball is like feeding them a fast food burger. And that isn't healthy for them either. And so, again, if you wanted to do the Roadrunner a favor by feeding them, you can go to the store, and I use, it's called flap meat, and it's already a real thin cut, and then I just cut it in like a a half-inch wide strip, about three to four inches long, so it kind of looks like a lizard, and uh, and then I'll toss it out there, and they gobble it down, and so that would be really good for them, versus giving them a hamburger ball. Right. And, uh, Something and, uh, with lean meat in it. Exactly. And then what you can do, too, if they come around often, because if they're eating that and they're not getting the lizard, then you want to make sure that they get the calcium that they need. So you can buy a calcium powder, and you don't have to do it to every one, but you can um, dust them down again with calcium powder. That way they'll be getting the calcium intake that they're not getting by not eating a lizard. Right. They're not getting all the bones and all that Exactly. Goodness. Exactly. And so uh, that way you can have a, a pet roadrunner and at the same time feed him healthy and he'll keep coming around. Oh, they're fun little critters to have around the yard. Watching them slap the meat is right? really funny. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, so yeah, so I wanted to just cover that because, again, the bees are still very active. But things like desert willows and whatnot and palaverys are all going out of bloom. And, uh, and so the food source is depleting for the, for the winter. And these are all things you can do to kind of help them along a little bit. Right. I don't have any bees in my yard anymore. I thought they were slowing down for the winter. Okay. Well, they will be here real soon. Right. Yeah. And just as a reminder, folks, that call-in number is 760-366-8471. And you can call with any and all of your gardening questions. Okay. And then another uh, thing you can do this time of the year, there's a lot of natives out in the wild that you've been looking at and admiring and you don't have any in your yard, then now would be a really good time to collect the seed because you actually want to sow the seed and plant it in the fall. Uh, And by doing so, then it'll germinate in the early spring. And so some of the native seeds that you can still collect would be the native buckwheat. And again, when you see native buckwheat out in the wild, it usually looks kind of rough and scruffy because it lives in what falls out of the sky as far as water. So when the water isn't really prevalent, then it has a rougher look to it. But in a landscape, and it doesn't take a lot of water, but uh, if you give it a little more water than what it's going to get in nature, then it actually will bloom longer and become larger and be a really nice green shrub. And it adds a lot to a a xeriscape landscape. And they have that kind of that uh, whitish, pinkish tan bloom. uh, And then when they go to seed then the end of the stem is a nice kind of a rusty brown ball, which is aesthetic looking it's, you know, in its own right. So that's the buckwheat. Then you have the turpentine bush, and that's going to get roughly about 2 to 3 by 2 to 3. And it gets a yellow flower, and uh, that does very well. And we spoke about the datura, or the jimson weed, 
a couple weeks ago at the large white flowers. They're in bloom right now along the side of the highway and everything. And you can gather those seeds if you wanted to bring some of those into your landscape. Oh, you can't miss those seed pods. Yeah. They're huge. Yeah, they are. And then uh, the native desert mallow is beginning to go out of bloom. But if there's still some that are in bloom, then you can go ahead and harvest those seeds. And those are the natives that have the bright orange flower in the spring through the early summer. And if they again, if they do get some additional watering, then they'll bloom from spring through fall. So in the landscape, a lot of these natives that are seasonal in their bloom, but if they get the extra water, and if you deadhead them after a peak bloom cycle, then they'll put new growth on, and they'll come back and they'll bloom again. So you can enjoy them for a longer period than what they're going to be blooming out in the wild. And uh, another plant, it isn't a native native, but it has definitely naturalized itself here in the Morongo Basin is the desert marigold. And that has kind of a silver gray leaf with a yellow flower. And uh, again, they've definitely naturalized themselves and they reseed very readily. And if you had even just one in your yard, then next year you're gonna have a dozen or more. And then by the second year, you're gonna have you know three or four dozen. So when you plant them, make sure that, and you can always, if you get too many, you can always hula home out. But uh, when you plant the marigold, especially if you have a, if you want, if your goal is to have a native, natural looking landscape, then having things like the marigold as they voluntarily reseed, they will give a naturalness to the landscape because they're volunteering on their own. And uh, it kind of makes the landscape look more natural. But uh, they do very, very well. And the rabbit brush, which is in bloom right now, that's a very common shrub up here. And they're hard to find as far as out in the, at, at, as far as wholesale growers. But uh, you can readily harvest the seed this time of the year, again, because they're in full bloom. And they have their, it's like the turpentine bush, but they grow larger. They're going to get anywhere from three to five feet by three to five feet, depending upon the water. And they get a nice yellow flower. And, uh, and those are in bloom right now. And another plant's called the desert primrose. Oh, and those are so gorgeous. Yeah. And it's got a silver gray leaf with a large white bloom. It's like the desert marigold where it only gets uh, maybe a, you know, a foot in width and maybe eight inches high or so. And it can get larger if it gets more water, uh, but they do very well. And uh, these are all things that you can plant and you can still harvest the seed right now. Uh, things that you're kind of past collecting the seed, which you might think about for next year, is the native indigo bush. That is one of my favorite really, bushes out here. It has yeah. tiny blooms, but they're so beautiful. They're so dark and purple. Yeah. So you have the native indigo bush and then their cousin, the smoke tree. Um, that's going to get substantially larger. That's going to actually get around 10, 12 feet high and equally as wide. Uh, but again, it's going to have that really dark, deep purple bloom and with the kind of the silver gray foliage, and when they're in bloom, it's a spectacular specimen. So, but those are already past their bloom period, so you'd have to put that on your list. So next, you know, late spring, summer, when they're in bloom, be sure to go out there and harvest them. And that way you could hang on to the seed, just keep them in a cool, dry location until the fall, and then plant them. 
Right. Luckily, I have, um, when I moved into my house, I had one on the property, a huge one. Mm-hmm. I'm really happy to have it. It gets really right. green. It gets a lot of blooms. It's yeah. beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and they're not a real common shrub up here. I mean, they're here, but they're not as readily out there as a lot of the other natives are. Uh, but when you do see them, uh, they actually they, they add a lot to the landscape, no doubt. Yeah, in the summertime when they're blooming, they just pop out because you're like walking along. You're just like, oh my gosh, look at those! Oh yeah, those beautiful blooms. What is that? Well, it'd be one of those shrubs that just like cactus, you could drive by it or walk by it if you you know go for a walk in the evening or the morning, and you could walk by it every day for months and not really even notice it. You're just kind of doing your thing, walking, and then when it's in bloom, it just grabs your attention. And you're looking right at it, and uh, that's just the way cactus are too. They, you know, they're they're there, and but when they're in bloom, they just jump out at you. Right. And uh, and so yeah, so there's a lot that you can do, and you know, and that same excitement you can bring into your landscape to where they're there, and they look good, and they're fulfilling the aesthetics of the landscape, but when they're in bloom, it's a whole other dimension. And, uh, and so you can create a, a really cool, interesting landscape by thinking about things like that as far as when they're in bloom uh, to, you know, grab your attention or the neighbor walking by, walking his dog or whatever. And, uh, and it, it just adds a lot of character to your landscape. Right, because it's not a color, especially when it's in bloom, it's a color you don't normally see out in the desert just walking around. Right, exactly, exactly. So, anyway, those are all things you can think about. But the time to collect the bulk of the seeds would be this time of the year. And, again, we, and if you do buy, get them and plant them, then you don't want to just broadcast it on the ground because then the mice and rats and squirrels are going to get the seed. So you do want to kind of scratch the ground, put it on, put a, a thin layer of dirt over the top, give it a watering, and then in about another week, give it another watering. You don't have to go heavy on the water, but ideally, if you water it a couple times a month, um, that'll basically falsify the natural rain, and then that'll get them started and set, and then they'll start popping up in the springtime, and you're good to go. Could you start also by planting them inside in soil, watering them, and then once they're more established, then could you put them out in your yard as well? Yeah, you could. And if you do it that way, then you want to not start them in a flat um, where you... Like if you were to buy, you know, petunias or marigolds, you know, they put them in a flat and you cut them out uh, because you don't want to damage the root on the on the on a, a native because uh, they put all their energy into a tap root when they first are developing. When they, as soon as the the seed germinates and the first leaves, you know, uh, break through the soil surface to the to the open sky then those simple leaves, once they're producing photosynthesis, then all that energy goes into a taproot. They don't just grow because they're getting water because they know instinctively that if they don't put a taproot down, that come summertime, they're going to perish. So all their energy goes into a taproot. So what you want to do is if you do do it that way, you want to put you know, a couple of seeds into a one-gallon container, and then that way when they do germinate, and they get a little bit of height on them, then you can go ahead and transfer them into the ground, and then that's going to be an individual plant. Rather than if you have them in a 
the 16 by 16 seed flat, then it's only about an inch and a half deep. And so you're going to get a lot of bloss that way when you go to move them. So just by putting them in a one-gallon can, then you can easily uh, start them that way and then set them out when you're ready. Okay. And how, if you do seed these plants and start watering them now, how will they fare in the winter when they're, when the frost like comes in in the early morning? Yeah, right it now? wouldn't be an issue at all. Okay. Yeah. As far as being the native, it wouldn't be an issue at all. Okay. Great. So, so another thing I was going to bring up too is, uh, you know, people start staying in the house this time of the year because it's dark at five o'clock. Makes for a long, I, I don't dig on this time of the year at all because, you know, you're just sitting at home. Yeah, it makes for a longer night. Most people, they're going into work when it's dark and coming home when it's dark. Right. It's kind of a, it can be miserable. Yeah, but it is what it is. Right. Uh, but if you're, you know, home a lot and you, whether it be you or even your kids tend to be hanging out and you're on your Xbox or your cell phone or your computer you know, even more than you normally would be because otherwise you'd be outside doing whatever, but now you're in the house. Um, something that you might think about is if you take a bilberry extract um, and you can get that in tablet form, and that's extremely beneficial for your eyes and it uh, can really help block out a lot of the light that that you know, it'll, it'll benef- be beneficial to your eyes with all that light that gives off from the computer screens and the cell phones and whatnot. And, uh, and that's uh, B-I-L-B-E-R-R-Y. And it's related to blueberries, but it's called bilberry. And, uh, and just, you know, food for thought because it's something that you can use um, just as a daily tab like you would a daily vitamin. But, uh, and it's, I mean, it's good for you regardless Anyway, it's uh, very good, especially if you're getting older and you're getting issues with your eyes, like cataracts or early macular degeneration, then the bilberry can go a long way into helping to relieve that as well. Nice. I didn't know that. I have uh, blue lenses on my glasses mm-hmm. for protecting with the blue light. Right. But for non-glasses wear, this is a great option. Exactly. Instead of wearing special glasses just to be on the computer. Exactly. Exactly. And then along with being inside and maybe looking in the mirror more than you ought to, and uh, you're looking a little older and your skin's getting a little wrinkly and Who whatnot. Who is that guy in the mirror? You know, a, God, I didn't look that way last year. <laughs> but uh, one thing you can think about is uh, supplementing and taking aloe vera gel. Oh, we were talking about this uh, a couple weeks ago, I think. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I thought about it last night just because people are going to be inside more. And um, and if you do smoothies at all or any kind of a shake, and, you know, you can mix it into that. I know when I do my smoothie, I put aloe vera gel into the bottle, and then I put the smoothie on top of that when I pour it into the bottle. And so I consume aloe vera every day. Uh, but it has a number of benefits, one of them being that uh, as little as three months – of taking aloe vera gel, you can visually see uh, an improvement in your skin elasticity and your wrinkles. And uh, and you know you know people spend a lot of money on creams and whatnot to avoid having wrinkles and and dry skin and whatnot. 
and uh, and you can achieve that with aloe vera. At the same time, you if your main goal for the aloe vera is for you know early wrinkles, you're getting older and you're getting wrinkly and whatnot. That's just an age thing. It's going to happen. Um, but uh, but you can definitely you know improve that with taking aloe vera. And on top of that, uh, as far as the side benefits of that, it will it will bolster your immunity. It will improve your digestion. The polysaccharides in the aloe vera have antiviral and antioxidant activities, and they also help to uh, better deliver nutrients to your cells, and it improves your kidney function, rebuilds the liver, and if you're a smoker, it'll help excrete the toxins from cigarette smoke. Oh, wow. So you you have all that, and it's just aloe vera. Most people, when they think of aloe vera, they're like, oh, sunburn, put aloe on it. Right. Most people don't go the extra mile or think that it can be ingested. Exactly. They think it's something just be put on your skin. When just for a, a burn or something right. like that. Exactly, yeah. And across the board, that's what almost everybody thinks. But when you, you know, just dig a little bit deeper, uh, then you have all these other benefits to it. And um, so, yeah, it's a really good product to mix into your daily routine as far as you know and if you want to you can just you know drink it straight as well it's a little lumpier and it's a kind of a thick gel and you'd be better off doing the gel more so than the the juice um and but again you can get it at any health food store and it's and i think you can even grab um just leaves at stater brothers even I'm pretty sure I've seen a couple like leaves on the shelf in the produce right. section. Okay. So okay. another place that you can grab them. Yeah, and you know, and aloe vera do so well out here. Now they can get damaged in the winter if you live in some of the colder parts of the Morongo Basin. So you may want to grow it in a container, uh, or if it's outside and it's going to be a really cold night and it's going to be below freezing, then you can just get a, a towel and throw a towel over it and get it through that night and then pull it off the next morning. But uh, aloe vera does very well out here. And uh, and also, just so you know that if you have it in the ground, that if it's in full sun during the summer, it can turn kind of a brownish bronze color because it's reacting to the sun. So ideally, if it's in morning sun, afternoon shade, that would be the ideal location for it. And and then you can grow it yourself and then just consume your own aloe vera right off the plant. It's so easy to grow and propagate. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's virtually unkillable. Exactly. I feel like. Right? Exactly. All right. That is all the time that we have today. Thank you so much, Mike, for stopping by and talking. Yeah, thanks, Mitch. Me. It was good to see you, and I'll see you next week. Sounds good.